everyone and welcome to our Sunday service this morning and Happy New Year to all of you and we'll be celebrating Master's birthday coming up in two days and this is always a wonderful way to redirect our life really towards deepener, deepening attunement and deepening dedication to transformation. So our topic this morning from Rays of the One Light is At the Heart of Silence, the Eternal Word. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, Chapter 1, these immortal lines appear. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the, be- the, same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Human vision beholds individuality and separation everywhere. Divine vision beholds the oneness of cosmic vibration of which all things are made. Cosmic sound, the word of God, and cosmic light These are eternal. The world as revealed to us by our senses is illusory. In Autobiography of a Yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda relates an early experience he received of the divine aspect of reality. Sitting on my bed one morning, I fell into a deep reverie. What is behind the darkness of closed eyes? This probing thought came powerfully into my mind. An immense flash of light at once manifested to my inward gaze. Divine shapes of saints sitting in meditation posture in mountain caves formed like miniature cinema pictures on the large screen of radiance within my forehead. Who are you? I spoke aloud. We are the Himalayan yogis. The celestial response is difficult to describe. My heart was thrilled. Ah, I long to go to the Himalayas and become like you. The vision vanished, but the silvery beams expanded in ever-widening circles to infinity. What is this wondrous glow? I am Ishwara. I am light. The voice was as murmuring clouds. I want to be one with thee. Out of the slow dwindling of my divine ecstasy, I salvaged a permanent legacy of inspiration to seek God. Wise are we if we meditate on that experience of Yogananda's and salvage from it even a breath of his inspiration. For quite simply, there is nothing else. 
as the Bhagavad Gita says in the seventh chapter, I make and unmake this universe. Apart from me, nothing exists, O Arjuna. All things, like the beads of a necklace, are strung together on the thread of my consciousness and are sustained by me. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Thanks for coming. So I'm going to begin with this beautiful prayer demand from Whispers from Eternity by Yogananda. This is the prayer demand to the holy vibration for omnipresence. O holy vibration, this also we can call the word of God, and I'll talk about that. O holy vibration, Boom on the shores of my consciousness. Break the limiting boundary of my body consciousness. Reverberate through my body, mind, and soul. Through my surroundings. Through all the cities and lands of this earth. Through all the planets. Throughout the universe and every atom particle of creation. Unite my consciousness with thy cosmic consciousness. Beautiful prayer demand. So, this first service of the year is a time of beginnings. Obviously, it's the new year. It's a time of a beginning of a new year. It's very close to Master's birthday, which is the beginning of his incarnation. Interestingly enough, this Anniversary is one, two, three, hundred and twenty three years ago. So, kind of a fun anniversary for him to have. So, I want to combine the reading with the uh, St. John talking about the world being created out of the holy vibration or the holy word and Master's birthday. And so let me start with the creation. So St. John, who was a great, great mystic, he went in many of the disciples of Jesus, but John especially went into Samadhi all of the time. One of the things he says is that I protest by the Christ that is within me that I die daily. What does it mean to die daily? That you cease to live in this physical body, in this personality, in this ego, and you die. And again in the Bible it says, unless you be reborn, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. What's that rebirth? It's the rebirth of your consciousness, not in a physical form, but in an astral form. Kingdom of heaven is also the kingdom of energy or astral world. And so... St. John was a great, great mystic. And he began his scripture with those immortal words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then God creates the universe by that. 
Now, it's a very, very apt symbol and analogy. Our consciousness, see the Vedic understanding of the creation of the universe is that God didn't make the universe, he became the universe. Out of his consciousness, everything was created. And so God has pure consciousness, and then he takes a little portion of that. Lahiri Mahashaya actually said he takes one-tenth of, or one-percent of his consciousness, and he puts that into vibration. And that vibration, or the still prana becomes vibrating, dynamic prana. And that vibration is what creates the outer world, the created universe. And so it's a very apt principle because our consciousness, when we want to manifest it, we speak. So if we have a thought, in order to bring that thought out of our interior and externalize it, we speak, we create a word, and that word is the manifestation of our consciousness. So a very, very nice um, apt principle of the creation of the universe. But I want to come back to this Vedic concept of creation because there are a couple of other concepts of creation that are vying for explanation of, you know, here we find ourselves, we're sitting here, we don't really know how we got here, we don't know how the earth got here, we don't know how the heavens got here, and so naturally mankind from time immemorial has pondered how did we get here what happened what was the beginning and the bible begins the old testament moses in genesis says god created the heavens and the earth in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and then he goes on to say how that was done and that it was done in six days, and then God was tired, and on the seventh day, he rested. <laughs> and that sort of makes sense. You read that, you know, he creates the firmament, he creates light, he creates the waters and the earth, he creates the plants, he creates the animals, he creates mankind, and then he rests. And then mankind starts, and right away they get into trouble. You know, Eve, Adam and Eve disobey God. She takes of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so they get cast out of Eden. They have two children. The oldest one kills the younger one. You know, it just it's, isn't working very well right, right, from, the, right from the get-go, let's face it. <clears throat> but nonetheless, in a certain way, we look around and the problems in the world are an extension, a continuation of that kind of consciousness, just as it was in Moses' time when this was written. That isn't all that different now. So there's that explanation of how we came into being, that God created this universe more or less the way a craftsman would create something. So there's the creator and he takes something and he makes something out of 
that material. A carpenter would work with wood, a potter would work with clay. And so that sense of a creator creating something is one, let's call it model number one of the creation of the universe. It's got some difficulties about it, but I'll come back to that. Model number two is the scientific explanation of how we got here. The scientists start with the Big Bang and that at some point they try to figure out when that point was and it shifts a little bit. Somewhere about 12.6 billion years ago there was a Big Bang and the beginning of that Big Bang created the subatomic particles and then the atoms and then the atoms expanded outward and so on. And it comes out and it creates the whole of the universe as we see it with all of the galaxies and all of the stars and all of the energies that flow around and flow through. And uh, it's a very serious um scientific exploration scientists are using mathematics and their mind and instruments and they're really trying to understand how how did we get here how how are we created now it's got some problems to it too just like door number one the scientific explanation begins first of all with a point of singularity So the whole potential of the universe is not just at the beginning, tiny, like the dot at the end of a sentence. It is zero. It's nothing. And then all of a sudden, creation springs out of that. And then there are some other problems. For one thing, science in general, not individual scientists, but science in general, rejects the idea of a creator, rejects the idea that there was some consciousness that was creating this universe. It, the universe self-assembles. The forces, to me it's a little bit like having a pile of bricks in the middle of a lot and a big wind comes up and blows them into a house. <laughs> Maybe... But there are some difficulties there. (laughs) So one of the problems is that there are some of these forces that they're working with that if they were one ten thousandth of a percent gravity, for instance, and the weak force of of the atom, if those were one ten thousandth of a percent stronger or weaker, the universe couldn't exist. And they also... They haven't been able to find about 95% of the universe. <laughs> they, they know from the motion of planets and galaxies and so on that, that they can figure out what forces are at play, but they can't find the forces and they can't find the matter. And so there are some difficulties, but the biggest difficulty in my mind is this sense that all of this can happen all of these very, very fine adjustments can happen without any consciousness behind it, that it just happens. Well, the scientists, too, realize that that's a problem. 
And so one of their explanations is that this kind of beginning process happens over and over and over trillions and trillions of times. And, and these forces are off a little bit and those universes don't come into existence. And this just happened to be the lucky one (laughs) where the forces were just right. And we came into existence kind of the hundred or the, an infinite number of monkeys typing on infinite number of typewriters and they recreate the whole works of Shakespeare. I've trouble with that too. <laughs> Being in India enough to see lots and lots of monkeys. I don't know how you get even a single monkey to type at a typewriter, let alone infinite numbers of them, but let's leave that aside. So, the scientific model has some difficulties with it too, but I don't want to put it down because it's a very sincere attempt by a lot of very intelligent people trying to understand how we got here. And then there's door number three, or model number three, which is the Vedic concept of the creation of the universe. And the Vedic concept is as I mentioned, is that there's a great consciousness and that consciousness begins to vibrate and that vibration is energy and it creates light and it creates sound and out of that vibration, out of that energy, the universe comes into existence. But it comes into existence under the guidance of creative, intelligent force behind it. And so that, that vibration first is very, very subtle, and it's only on the level of thought. Then it's a little bit more energetic or, or less energetic, one would say. And then it's on the level of energy. And then finally it becomes less, more uh, lower vibration. And that lower vibration creates the world of matter that we see around us. And that concept, see, the, doesn't exclude the other two. It doesn't exclude the scientific. It just puts a consciousness behind those scientific and, and forces of the universe. And so there you have, you don't have to have the trillions of universes that didn't work. You just have the one that did work because God knew what he was doing. And it created the forces at just the level that they needed to be. And so the force comes into, the universe comes into play. And so we then are an extension of God's consciousness. Now that has some really interesting applications and aspects to it. First of all, one of the difficulties with God as the craftsman creator is that a potter has earth to work with. God didn't have anything to create it out of, but let's assume that he could overcome that. He creates that, but the creation is completely separate. The pot is not anything like the potter. You know, the potter is conscious, the potter has intelligence, the pot doesn't. But creation, therefore, if it's separate from the creator then there is no possibility for us to merge back into that 
creator. There was a very interesting book that I read years ago called I Was a Monk. And it was by a man who was a monk, a Jesuit. He was contemporary with Master. He was a Jesuit and he was such a deep thinker and clear thinker that he was the primary teacher of philosophy for the Jesuit order. He lived in, he was American, but he lived in Rome at the Vatican. And he taught the um, philosophical aspect of the, uh, of, you know, the Catholic Church, including the creation. He taught that to the Jesuits who were the order known for the most kind of mental and uh, intellectual and, uh, you know, really bright people. Well, he had done that for years, and then he got tuberculosis. And having tuberculosis, the cure in those days was to send them to Switzerland, where they sat out on the deck of a sanitarium, and they breathed the cold uh, air, the clean air of the mountains, and that helped cure them of tuberculosis. So basically, he went to Switzerland and had an enforced seclusion for many, many months. During that seclusion, he had a samadhi experience where spontaneously, because he was, he was a very deep thinker and a very sincere spiritual person, spontaneously, he had the experience that he was one with everything in creation and one with the creator. And then the dilemma came because he was then supposed to go back and teach that we're separate from the creator. And he couldn't do it. He left the Jesuit order because that separation from, from the creator doesn't work because there are too many. He isn't alone. Too many people over too many centuries in too many cultures have had the experience of samadhi where they merge with the creator. They know that they are the creator, the creation, they're everything. And so you can't have a model that separates us from the creator, being part of the creator, that's valid. And so the Vedic model accounts for, in fact, comes out of that experience of the great, great saints, the great knowers, the great sages, who have had the experience, not just the mental thought of being one with the creation. But on a certain level, that Vedic model has a little bit of a difficulty for us in terms of kind of doesn't fit what seems to be. I mean, if we're supposed to be part of the creator, why don't we feel like we're part of the creator? Why don't we know that? If God created this universe out of energy, why don't we feel like this universe is energy? Well, God also creates, for whatever reason... Let's, let's not ask him why. In fact, when Yogananda asked Sri Akteshwar, his guru, why, uh, 
Sri Yukteswar basically said, there are some questions better not asked. (laughs) So why God creates this universe? The traditional answer is that he wanted to enjoy himself through many. Swami has a beautiful answer, which is the essence of God's consciousness is joy and the nature, the intrinsic nature of joy is to want to expand and want to share itself. And so that joy wants to share itself. So setting aside exactly, we know that God did create it because we're here. And so setting aside why he did it, why did he create it in such a way that we don't see it, we don't feel it? Well, the Vedic explanation is because he wanted to enjoy the lila, enjoy the dance, enjoy the separation. And so... For whatever reason, he created the force of Maya, which makes us not be able to see reality. And so when we come into a physical body, we try to understand reality through the mind and through the senses. And it's not a very, they aren't very good tools for understanding reality or for seeing the truth. For instance, just a couple of instances here. It, you know, when, when we see a picture of the solar system, you've all seen it in books. You know, you've got the sun there and you've got the planets and the sun's about, you know, you know about the size of a marble and then the earth is the size of a pea and it's, you know, not very far away and it's going around in its nice little orbit. And... That's done out of the convenience of printers who can't print a book that's 10,000 miles wide to give the actual scale of what's going on. But the actual scale of what's going on is if you take the sun and think of it as kind of the size of a grapefruit, then the earth is a little tiny BB spinning around but the grapefruit is at the middle of the earth and the BB is like an airplane spinning around at the, you know, a mile or two miles above the surface of the earth. Everything else between that is space, is nothingness. I mean, yes, there are a couple of other BBs out there and a little bit of dust, but it's, it's this vast emptiness except that it's also filled with energy. But it isn't filled with matter. That energy has not formed into clumps, into matter. The next closest star is 4.3 million light years away. And so all of these pictures that we see, this is vast, vast (laughs) emptiness that's around us, but it's filled with energy. But we don't perceive it that way. You know, we're we're on that little BB, and that little BB is one of the few congregated sources of this vast energy field that has accumulated, condensed into solid matter. And so we think the whole universe is like that, filled with solid matter. It doesn't get any better. That's kind of out into astronomy. It doesn't get any better when you go inside and look at what what are we inside? What are we made of? Because 
we do know that we're made up of atoms. And Adam is Adam was a concept also in in Vedic knowledge. So it just means that there's a fundamental particle. Well, we know that that's not really true, but but there's a a, a particle that is the atom, and it's got a nucleus, kind of like the sun was a nucleus, and then it's got uh, an electron or electrons around it, and we've seen the pictures, you know, of a, in, you know, the symbol of the atom with the, you know, a little dot and the electrons going around it. Well, it isn't like that, but it's sort of like that, but the electron isn't a single little particle. Now they call it the electron cloud. And so think of it more like a force field. And so this force field is around a nucleus. But again, the scale where we think of this is way, way off. So we think of a force field. We've all seen it with Star Trek and all of those. You know, the ships have a force field, and there's the ship. And then just right around them like a skin rind of an orange or something, is the force field. But it's basically all one. Well, in an atom, it's more like the force field is the size of a huge football stadium, and the center of the atom, the nucleus, is a little mosquito flying around in the middle of that. And everything else is nothingness. But because... The force fields interact with each other. That's why you don't fall through the chair. Is the force fields in the atomic structure that you have interact with the force fields of the atomic structure of the chair, and those force fields kind of repel each other. And so it looks like things are solid, but all they are is a mosquito and a force field and empty space. But the mind, because the senses are set up in such a way that we see light that bounces off the force field and we hear sounds that bounce off that and touch, the senses tell us everything is solid. But it isn't solid. It's all just vast, empty space. But that space is filled with energy. The electron and the nucleus... They're energetic particles. They're vibration. They're the word of God. They're light. They're sound. Okay, so if we have this universe that is different from what it seems, that's interesting intellectually, but what what does it really do for us? What does it really answer for us? Here we are. We're trying to get back to truth. Those of us who have come seriously and consciously on the spiritual path are trying to, if, if we're an extension of God and if people can have these experiences where they know that they're one with God, we've come on to the path in order to have that experience, in order to be one with God. And just as the universe and things in manifestation seem solid, so do we seem solid. We seem to be something other than what we really are. And what we really are is hidden from us, just as the energy forces are hidden from 
from apparent knowledge. So we think that we're this body. We think that we're this personality. So the soul or the aspect of God's consciousness identifies with separation. It identifies with the little particle that is separate separate in this vast, vast unity that's going on. And so having that sense of separation, which is the ego, Master defined the ego as the soul identified with this particular body and this particular personality. Having that sense of separation or ego is the primary thing that we're trying to overcome on the spiritual path. And Swami said it so beautifully. He said, the whole of the spiritual path is to overcome the ego, to overcome the sense of separation. And the way to do it is by longer, deeper meditations and by seeing God as the doer of everything. Not you, not you separate, but God through you is doing everything. And so... If we're trying to get back to that consciousness, then there are a couple of things that will help us in that. One is that let's try, especially in this new year, to break down the false thought that we and the ego and our body is the reality. It's just empty space, basically football stadiums with little mosquitoes flying in it, interacting with each other. So our bodies are filled with space. Master said, in fact, in meditation, we should try to feel that our body is space and that we're floating in space to, to break us from this delusion, this attachment to solidity that isn't really solid. It's just energy and consciousness that's going on. And so we need to break that hypnotism of solidity. In my meditations, I've been trying to feel my body as energy, not as solid as energy. Try to feel it that way. And in fact, all of our spiritual teachings, our spiritual techniques, are to help us to do that. The energization is to send by our conscious will to send flows of energy to various parts of the body and then to sensitively feel that energy, trying to feel our body not as solid but as energy. And so with Hong Sa and with Kriya and with the higher Kriyas, all of these and Om technique. All of these is trying to break the hypnotism that we're solid and that we're separate and bring us into the understanding that we're just a force field of energy and behind that a force field of consciousness and behind that just spirit. And so in our meditations, because this is the age of energy, This is when we will feel ourselves. The techniques will be to understand that we're made up of energy. 
that the world is made up of energy. That's Dwapara Yuga. That's the age. This is the way God is dreaming in this age. So for us, during this coming year, let's work on trying to feel ourselves more and more as beings of energy, not as beings of solid matter. And when we do that, a couple of things that are really helpful happen. One is that if we can really feel ourselves as beings of energy, we don't need to breathe anymore. Energy doesn't need to breathe. We can go breathless. And when we go breathless, we become detached from the physical body. And yet we see, actually experience the fact that even though we're not in our physical body, we're still alive. We're still conscious. There's still a continuum. That completely takes away fear of death because if we've already experienced, as Christ, uh, as St. John did, I protest by the Christ within me. I die daily. If we die daily, death doesn't become a big thing anymore, does it? And so all of that, all of those delusions and fears and anxieties begin to pass away. And as we feel ourselves to be beings of energy as opposed to beings of solid matter, then we also become aligned with the consciousness of God in ways that we can't when we're separate. And so attuning ourselves, see, we can't think our way there. We can't just tense and do exercise. It has to come through consciousness. And so by relaxing, by attuning our consciousness to the consciousness of those who have already experienced themselves as unified with God, by attuning to Master, we get to the point where we have that same experience. And in this great Samadhi experience, Master said, I realized that the center of the whole of the created universe was a point of intuitive perception in my own heart. So that center of everything is intuitive perception in your own heart. That's where we're trying to go. And so a stepping stone toward that is try more and more to use our techniques to break the delusion of solidity and feel yourself as beings of energy, beings of consciousness, and ultimately beings of spirit. Oh.